0: You may be seated. Children may head off to children's church and Camp Point Way. Thank you, Linda. Man, it's good to see you folks. Wow. Well, we've been working through Corinthians. We are still focusing, still working on that that focus theme. Um, but believe it or not, next Sunday will be the last, Lord willing, last sermon on Corinthians. We'll actually finish it up. And I've been asked a number of times, like, so Pastor Charlie, are you going to do Second Corinthians next? And my short answer is no. I'm not planning on it. Um, it doesn't really flow well. Um, there's a letter in between and and again Paul is writing down the road a little ways. But and you also ask me, well what are you going to preach on? I say, I'm not exactly sure, um, I'm planning on doing some Christmas messages uh, leading up to Christmas, but again, that may change, so I try to be open to that, but I want to answer that question, but in the meantime, text are going to work through chapter 15 today, so if you have your Bibles, you can head there, and again, context is key, in context we try to, to use everything in context because it helps us understand, it gives us insight, it helps us understand the author, but also the audience. But through that, we can also learn how we're to react to it, right? Because a lot of the same things that were prevalent in that time are still here today. Remember, the the church in Corinth was in a tough place. It was in an area that was known for a lot of idolatry worship, a lot of pagan worship. It was a transient place. Uh, There was a lot of people coming and going, and with that brought different cultures. Boy, they brought a lot of bad stuff. A lot of hard stuff was going on around them. And like any church, you have to watch, you have to be protective, you have to be careful that you don't allow the culture to come inside the church. And that was Paul's cry was he's trying to help these people, to protect them, to keep them pure, and to kind of focus them back to what was most important. Because see, as culture came in, it was causing divisions. It was causing strife they argued about many things. And if you've been with us, you know, they argued about almost everything, right? Who's pastor, who baptized, you know, today's they would argue like what version of the Bible, what music, what hymns, contemporary songs, right? Yeah, some ways it hasn't changed. I've been around long enough that I've seen some of those battles go on, but that's not what God intended. In fact, the Corinthian church even argued about spiritual gifts, which that should have been like a no-brainer, right? Having spiritual gifts, they got them out of order. We, we even did that little fun exercise, and many of you still remind me that was actually one of the, the better illustrations that I had, so I'm going to hold on to that one for a while. But we, remember, we had the prayer focus, the announcements, missions moment, music, all three songs all going at once and me trying to speak, right? We had some fun with that. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We need to have orderly worship. Things need to be in order. Things need to be simple and clear so that you can hear. And then once we got through that part in Corinthians, we got to chapter 15, and last week, Paul kind of makes a stand, and he kind of brings us back to what's most important, right? He says the first importance, right? You want to remember what that was last week? What was the, the, the most important thing? First three? Well, I'm giving you some hints. I don't ask rhetorical questions. Come on, help me out here. What, what, what was it? What was the first importance? Somebody, all right, there you go. Somebody bailed me out. Whew. The gospel, right? right? That's first importance, right? That Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again according to the scriptures. That's of first importance. That's number one. That you gotta have that. As followers of Christ, that's the, the lead, that's the most important thing. It should be something that we all can agree upon as well, as believers. I never get tired of hearing the gospel. Because for me, it's a reminder. It's a reminder of where I was and who I am now in Christ. And then Paul laid down that very strong argument about the resurrection, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ and how important that is. And you can't have the gospel message without the resurrection. In fact, that was our title last week focusing on Jesus' resurrection. Well, He's going to continue that on because, again, in Corinth, that was a huge problem. Even some of the believers didn't believe in the resurrection, and they were leaving that part out, and that leaves a huge hole. Back like Paul says, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no gospel. It's like, why bother? There's no reason. And so that kind of sets up today's message, because today we're going to focus a little different. We're not going to focus on Jesus' resurrection so much, but we're going to focus on our own resurrection as believers in Jesus Christ. Totally will change your outlook. If you grasp that, you will change, or it should change the way you live as believers. And so it's actually kind of exciting, but it's also a daunting task. I got to tell you right now, I was studying this week, and it's a large portion of scripture, And as Scripture does, it covers a lot. So we're going to run through a lot of verses. So I really encourage you to read back through this this week. And not only does it cover a lot in the Scriptures right here, but it's going to cover a lot in the Bible. We're going to go from Genesis to some of the prophets, touch on the Gospels, the letters. We're even going to get into Revelation a little bit, all in this one section today. So it's a daunting task. It's a lot to cover. But bear with me, stay with me. We'll get through this we'll do it together. So verse 20, we'll begin. Dead says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. All right? Again, he's making the connection. He's going back to Paul is referring back to Adam, right? Back to Genesis. Adam was made from dust, from dirt, all right? Ladies, you can say it. You guys are nothing but a pile of dirt. That's all right. I've heard that joke. But it's true. Adam came from dust. God created him. Jesus, however, did not come from dust, right? So you see a, a beginning and an end, Again, there's going to be that correlation. And again, that's going to be important when we get to the resurrection part. And so Paul is setting that up. He's bringing that full forward now. And again, we obviously identify with Adam, right? Because we're all dirt. You know, That's, that's how that comes. I love that I can get away with that. I can call you guys dirt and no one's like laughing or snickering or saying, Charlie, I can't believe you said that. You know, I heard gutter water this morning. That was the first time I think I'd heard that one in a while. But that was, that was good. I, I like that. But yeah, we come from dirt. We're part of that. We identify with Adam. Now I think Adam gets a, a tough knock. He gets blamed for you know, the sin that started this all off. And the, but you know what? If it hadn't been Adam, if it had been, it probably would have been one of his sons. If it hadn't been his sons, it would have been his grandsons. If by some miracle it had gotten all the way down, it might have been me. You know, in all reality. So again, yes, we blame Adam for the start of it. He was beginning, but certainly we would have all been just as tempted, and we all could have been there right with him. So we identify with that. We identify with Adam's first sin. And because of that sin comes death, right? One of the things that I love about my wife, she she hates. Again, she doesn't hate much, but she really does. She hates death of any kind. She just hates to see anything die. There's even a part of her that hates seeing the mice that I'm killing right now although she doesn't like to clean up after him. It's getting close with that one. She may be not hate as much, but she does. She hates death. But you know what? Death is that reminder of sin. That's a consequence of sin. God did not intend for there to be death. Right? We have to own that. And so that's a hard concept. That's a hard thing to, to say, man, we have to take that on. Death is part of the sin, part of the curse. Told you we were going to start Genesis. Don't worry, there's more, but that's all part of that. And so that's where it starts. And so we have to wrestle with that, that in case you didn't know, we are going to die. That is part of it, part of death, with a slight exception. We'll get to that though. But for the most part, we are going to die that first death. Back to the scriptures here. It says, verse 23, it says, But each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. After he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. It be a little confusing if you read it quickly, and you're kind of like going back and forth. But again, remember Paul continually says about order? And again, Paul's just parroting what God has already said. There's an order to things, right? Jesus, when he came in that, on the cross, submitted himself to God the Father. And so we have that putting everything under. But yet God gave Christ all authority. And so Christ will reign, Christ will be in control, and he will put the enemies under his feet. Talked about champions, right? You sang about it, perfect. Perfect champion, right? There's no more enemies. Our champion is Jesus Christ. He is the one that defeats. And not only just defeats his enemies, he actually sets forth and defeats death itself. There'll be no more of that. So I can tell my wife with all confidence, honey, there's going to be a time when there's no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more mourning. We're not there yet, but that time is coming. See the hope that's in that? See the change that's in that? There's even more. It even gets better. Again, we got a lot of scripture, so I'm going to read through, but I encourage you to dig a little bit deeper in that because there's a little bit more. Now, there was a confusing thing that was going on in in the area, and so we've got to kind of wrestle through that here with these next couple of verses. So verse 29, follow with me. He says, now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead were not raised at all, why are people baptizing for them? All right. It's kind of an interesting thing, right? Baptizing for the dead. Now i got to tell you, when I looked through the commentaries, there's about 20 to 30 different opinions, and I'm going to call them opinions when looking at that passage. I could add one more, but that probably wouldn't help. But here's the one that I kind of at least in my own mind, wrestled with. And again, you can have a different opinion on this, but it's believed that during that time, the pagan religions would baptize themselves in hopes to help those who had already passed, to move them along spiritually. Not uncommon. Uh, there are some faiths today that do that. They'll, they'll pray and pray and to move someone spiritually from one place to the next. Right? You probably can think of some of those other religions. And Paul's using that as an example, again, because it was something that was real to them. Again, baptizing for the dead doesn't really make sense. The point is, though, why would they even bother doing that if they didn't believe in the resurrection, right? Again, if your life ends when you die and that's it, there is no more, that's it, right? There's, there's no reason to, to do any more. That person, you know, sorry you're gone, but that's all there is. That's the end of the story. And so Paul's making that case no, no, that's not the end of the story. The resurrection is a continuation of that story. And as a believer, it's a continuation of our life. We are eternal beings in Christ. So there's good news in this, there's excitement in this, there's hope for tomorrow and even after our deaths. Verse 30, kind of hints to that. It says, and as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus, our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If we are dead and are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Quotes Isaiah here, the prophets, right? So what he's saying is if there's no resurrection, this is logical, right? If there's no resurrection, this is life is all we have, why not live it up, right? Paul's saying, look at my example. Why am I bothering going through all this? Why am I bothering putting my life at risk if there's no end? I mean, there's no purpose, right? This is all I've got. I'm He's saying, I'm wasting my life doing this work. I'm putting myself at risk for no reason. But see, Paul understood, and he knows what you can know as well, is, yeah, there is eternal life. There is a reason why we do what we do now. And I know you've heard me say this, and I'll probably keep saying that. It matters to God what we do once we're saved. Don't miss that. It matters to God what we do once we are saved. Also, our outlook should matter to God once we are saved. Because if we have that eternal view in mind, it changes how we view things that happen in our lives. We've talked about death this morning, right? Our view, if you believe in the resurrection, and you believe that that person that passed away is a believer, and you're a believer, and you're going to see them again, that changes everything. Everything in your view. Also, if you believe in the resurrection and the importance of that, it should change the way you evangelize, the way you share with other people, the way you pray. All that matters based on your view of the resurrection. And Paul knew that, and that's why Paul makes that point. You know, hey, look at my example. Why would I bother doing this if I didn't believe in this? It wasn't an amen, but it was pretty close. I, you know, I I love having kids. I really I love having kids in the service. I love having them in the church, and you know, whether at Camp Point or right here, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I do. I love it. I was in a church for a while that had no kids, and I, it was one of the most saddest things, you know. And I had older people just longing to hear a baby cry out or do something. And yeah, they're spontaneous. They don't always behave. You know what? I love it. I just I will always enjoy that part, and so it's okay. And and I I, like I said, spur of the moment things are great. Remember what I said about context, right? Context is key, because you know what? This verse would be a great bumper sticker, right? Let's eat and drink and be merry. Is the other part of it in some translations for tomorrow we die. Whatever you want. That's not how Christ wants us to live. Right? Again, it's not like eating. It's just like eat whatever you want, gluttony, drinking, throw it all out the window, just live. Now probably when I said that, you probably had somebody in mind, right? right? There, there are plenty of unbelievers out there that are living that way. They don't care. In fact, you know, when I was younger, I was in that same boat. I didn't care. You, know, you think you're invincible, you think you can do whatever. Did a lot of stupid things because I wasn't thinking, about, wasn't thinking about God and I certainly wasn't thinking about Tomorrow. I was just enjoying the moment, happy in my own little spot, taking it all in. But again, I didn't have the correct view. Paul is warning them, hey, you got to look a little bit differently. Your eternal being, it goes beyond you. And for no other reason, look at the example of me. Again, comes with a warning here. Verse 33, he says, do not be misled. Bad company Corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Again, remember, he's, he's still pastor of this church, even though it's from afar, and so he knows them and, and he's longing for them to come back. So, this do not be misled is a nice way of saying, hey, wake up, smarten up. Right, And again, this reference to bad company corrupts good character. I use this quite often when I'm discipling, especially young men. I'll say that, hey, who you hang out with is who you'll become. Right? And that's a lot of truth in that. If you hang around certain crowds, you will take on that because you want to fit in. The opposite is true, though, as well. If you hang around good people, Christian friends and things like that, you'll take on that as well, and there's, there's safety in that. Encouragement in that. Again, it's not an absolute, but it is a good piece of advice, and certainly it does. Again, Paul's trying. Many, not all, young people, but it can affect old people as well. Again, Paul's trying to protect them. The culture was very much live for today. He said, "Hey, come back to your senses. Come back to foundational things. Come back to what's most important." And again, he says. Come back to your senses and stop sinning. Again, it's that call to be holy, call to be righteous. That doesn't change. God's not okay with sin. He's never been okay with sin. Yes, I know it happens, and I know we do it, and I know we have to ask for forgiveness. It's a cycle that we long to break, but it's never okay. It's never been okay with God. I cringe at some of the the music I hear today. I hear some music, and you know, and it says I'm broken, and and I get that, and but there's no hope in it. They say, I'm broken, so you have to accept me the way I am. And it's like, well, no, I don't want you to just stay broken. That's not very good. At least that's what I'm hearing, and maybe I'm, I'm misleading. But yeah, all right, I get you've made mistakes, but that's not where you need to stay. And I get I get worried when I hear people just saying, well. It's the way I am. Well, no. In Christ, that's not the way we ever are. We are t- to be growing, to be moving forward. Yeah, that's another one. That's not in my notes. I just jumped off a little bit, but you know, like I said, I, I hear that often and it, it bothers me. It troubles me in my spirit. And he says, Some of you are not ignorant, right? Again, Paul taught there. He knew. He's like, hey, you're not ignorant. You, know, you, you shouldn't be, anyways. You should know this. He even says, I say this to your shame, right? Hey, if I can, if Paul's saying, if I can shame you and that'll move you and, and get you to think of these things, then fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. Paul got tough. Paul would not be easy. I'm not sure that I would want to sit under Paul. I mean, he could probably be pretty challenging at times. But you know what? We, if we were honest, we all need that from time to time, right? We need someone to kind of get into us a little bit and say, hey, this isn't okay, You know better. you got to, come on, let's work through this together. Let's start with forgiveness. Let's work on not sinning. All right, back to the scriptures. I've meddled enough this morning in that area. Back to the argument. And I say back to the argument, again, because, again, the culture was saying they didn't believe in the resurrection. So this next section goes back to that. It says, but someone may ask, right, hypothetical, someone may ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? How foolish. What do not plant the body does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it to a body, and He has determined, and to each kind of seed, He gives its own body. So, he gives us an example, right? You that are farmers or that plant gardens or even flowers, right? You plant a seed, it comes from a dying plant, right? The seed is by itself, and you plant it, and it grows, and it becomes another plant, a new. The reference here and what he's issuing is our body now that we're in is not going to be the same body we have in heaven. Amen? Come on! Some of you that are older, that get aches and pains, you should be like, yes, I'm getting to that point. You know, my knee's not going to hurt in heaven, right? My back's not going to be bothering me anymore, not going to be sleep deprived, not going to be hungry. All those things change. It's not the same body. Yet, it's an amazing thing. It says we'll be able to recognize, right? There'll be some similarities, so some of you are still going to be. We're going to catch up in heaven at some point. I don't know what year, but we're going to catch up at some point. I'll look you up. I'm not going to haunt you. I'm going to come look you up, though. Right? We can praise God together. But it'll be a new body. It won't be the same shape. Right? I, yeah. That to me is encouraging. Right? The, the the aches and the pains. I mean, that's it's all part of the the dying process. Right? Now, I don't know what it's going to look like. I can't tell you that. Scripture doesn't really give us a clear picture. You know, we reference back to Jesus after he was resurrected and back. It was a glorified body and had some pretty neat things. But again, we don't know for sure what our bodies are going to look like. I believe, the scripture, that we'll be able to recognize each other, but it's going to be different, you know? Had this conversation with people. I've even joked with them and like, huh? What if you had to pick the perfect body? What would you pick? You know? And again, I think this is one of those that's beyond our minds. But it's just kind of fun to play with. And my twenties were pretty good. You know, that body was a little bit stronger then, and a few bumps and bruises, but not too bad. I'm Not sure. I don't want the body in my fifties. That one's kind of breaking down in places and makes all sorts of noises and struggles. But you know, that's going to be even pale in comparison. A glorified body is going to be totally new, totally different, but yet we'll be able to recognize it. It's a a profound thing. It's an interesting thing. And again, he uses the the plan and the seed to kind of help them. Because again, not only the resurrection, but now they're having questions about, so what's that going to look like then? All right, Paul, uh, we'll agree with you. We're going to believe in the resurrection, but then what body? And again, they're, they're logically thinking. They're working through that. I mean, we've had a little more time to process that. Maybe you've read through these scriptures before, but they, they're wrestling with this sometimes for the, for the very first time, and they're going, these are good questions. And so Paul's trying to answer them ahead of it to give them some idea. And so he uses the seed and the, the plant as one. Then he goes to the next section here, and he gives us another example, an example on top of an example, which is good. It says, all flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds, another, and fish. Fish in the Bible, I love that. Fish and, and another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars yet another. And the stars differ from the star and the splendor. They're saying there are going to be differences. So we're not all going to be the same. We're going to look differently. We'll have some of our uniqueness there. All right? Now, this. All right, here's an alert. Here's a, a caution. It may, it may offend some people, but this passage is not saying that animals are going to be in heaven, okay? Some of you may be disappointed. It's, it's not there. Paul's just using that as an example of the differences, right? Animals are different than people. I sure hope so, because my dog and me are nothing alike. And I certainly can't swim like a fish or fly like a bird. But again, there's differences. And we'll be different. And again, there's also the the physical difference to the spiritual difference. And so Paul's just making that clear. It's not the same. It's not like... This body is going to go in the ground and come again and going to be the same shape, same form. You know, it's not like time stands still or anything like that. No, it continues on. It's going to be different. And so Paul's making that here to make it clear to them that example. So it is written the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life giving spirit. Spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as of the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born the likeness of the earthly man, so we will bear the likeness of the man from heaven. He's going a little bit further now. He's bringing us along, right? He referenced it back to Adam, right? We, we, we were likeness of man. We had that, that image, right? Man, man as in mankind here. And then yet Jesus comes on the scene, all right? We're, we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. Christmas is coming. I, I know that. I, I can safely say that now. Thanksgiving is in the rearview mirror. Now we're headed towards Christmas. But the importance of the virgin birth plays into this, right? If you read this, again, he's saying there's a difference between Adam and Jesus. Yes, Jesus was fully man when he was here, but his birth was from heaven, right? Virgin birth, Holy Spirit. If you haven't read that in a while, we'll be talking about that to come. So we have earthly bodies now. We're we're in that, that form right now, here this morning. But yet, when we die and we're resurrected again, we'll have a spiritual body. We'll be like Jesus. That glorified body. It'll be different. Does that change your view a little bit? It goes beyond this morning, goes beyond our current troubles, beyond our current trials, into eternity. So, Paul's nailing that home now, and he's bringing it to life where. Focusing on our resurrection as human beings, as believers in Christ. Verse 50 it says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but will all be changed in the flesh. In a twinkling of the eye at the last, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the unperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Let's stop right there a little bit. What is Paul talking about? Again, you've got to have some context here, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 would be a good place to go if you're looking for context. But he's talking about not all of us, again, there's that hope, not all of us may experience a physical death. There's this little thing called rapture. Right? It's that possibility. And again, we don't know. We're, we're closer to it than we were yesterday, but we don't know. But it's a thing called rapture where we won't have to go through that. In the flash of an eye, a twinkling of an eye, the Greek word is, is atmos, it's just it's immediately. It switches over, and we'll be in heaven, right? But we won't have the same body. It's not like our, our bodies are going to be you know, flying up there and into heaven in this current form. Again, Paul says it's a mystery. Again, and the mystery is is if you exclude God, then it would be a mystery. It would be impossible. But God is not a God of mystery or or mystic in that regards. It just happens. We change. So Paul's saying, yeah, not all of us are going to have to go. There's a, a select few that are just going to go right up to be in heaven, not have to go through that process. But yet we will be the same. We will be glorified bodies. told you, he's brought us from Genesis. The prophets were in there a little bit. Now the rapture. The blink of an eye. You know, the early Christians, they had that view. They were always looking for the second coming of Christ. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Even in our prayer, right, to give us today, because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Either physical death or even if the rapture comes. Either way, this may be all we have. May come before the end of today. It's not a bad thing. In fact, there are many days I would think, hey, Lord, if it was up to me, today would be the day, right? Go ahead, take me home today. Either way, Paul is putting that in there because there is that rescue for those of that time, and again, that time we don't know, but the rapture's there. The rapture's part of it. And he goes back here to the Old Testament a little bit. Again, this is David sung this, but where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Right? Again, as a believer in Christ, and as a believer in the resurrection, death is just part of it, but it's just a turn of the page, if you want to use that analogy. It's only a moment. We are eternal beings. We have our hope, goes way beyond that. Right? Death does not have the final victory, it's not the end. Right? It continues on. We have eternal beings. Right? That sting, that loss, the more it's not there anymore. It's a totally different perspective. I love how he wraps this up here in this section, right? Again, he also mentions the power of the sin of the law, right? The the law, those the Jewish believers, the law didn't prevent death. In fact, if anything, you could say the law promoted death in some ways. Again, Old Testament, right? Because something had to die for the sins and they had to sacrifice that system. Jesus put that to death on the cross. He took care of that for us. But again, it's still we still have to currently unless the rapture or in the end. So, 57, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's a great benediction to this section. It's actually a great way of wrapping this back around and pulling it back. Because again, it can be kind of weighty and kind of heavy when we think about those things. But yeah, it's full of hope. It's full of life. All right? He so says, thanks be to God. The victory is through Jesus. The champion, Jesus Christ, he took care of that for us. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear that penalty of sin. As believers, we have that covered through Jesus Christ. There is a fear for those who are unbelievers. They have that fear of judgment. They have that fear of hell. But as believers, we don't have that. What a contrast. What a thing to praise God for and to rejoice in. So the resurrection is important. And Then he says, stand firm. You know, there's, in Scripture, there's a lot of places where Paul uses this stand firm. And again, a lot of times he has it in mind in the military. I mean, we, we all talk about the armor of God, right? And st- but in that, there's it's probably more in there that talks about standing firm. And what it is, is, is things are going to come at you. Things are going to try to knock you off your spot, if you want to call it that. And Paul's mind here is stand firm, be ready. You know, and again... Culture was saying, hey, there is no such thing as resurrection. There's, it, that's, that's foolishness. Paul Paul's saying, no, no, stand firm on that. You know that is truth. You can stand on that. You have the proof. You have the faith. You can stand firm on that. Just like you can stand firm on the gospel. You can stand firm on the scriptures. As believers, it's encru- stand firm on these things. Like I mentioned, there are some things that are not negotiable. There's some ills that are worth dying on. Stand firm, Paul's saying. Stand firm on the resurrection here, in context. Stand firm on these things. Don't let people move you. Just let nothing move you. And then he says, "Always give yourself fully to the work." Right? Again, back to that theme. Right? We're not to be idle. We're not just to be waiting. In fact, if you read Thessalonians, that was one of the problems with the Thessalonian church at the time: is they were like, "Hey, we're just waiting for Jesus to come back again." They were just they were looking to the sky, saying, "All right." It's today that you believe that. and Paul actually has to, to move him a bit. and says, all right, that's great that you believe that, and that, that's true, but you can't just wait. Give yourself. You've got to devote yourself. So there's things to be done in the interim, and that's where we are. We're in that spot where there are things to be done as believers. We have work yet to be done. And Paul says, do it for the Lord, and your labor will not be in vain. We're doing God's work, It's not in vain. It's blessings, it's rewards, it's crowns, it's obedience, there's all sorts of things that come with that. It's not in vain. So it's encouragement. It's a lot of encouragement in this. Not only the resurrected body and and heaven and that future, there's also encouragement in what we do day to day, even what we do today, that our labor is not in vain. Bow with me, please. Lord, we we thank you. We thank you that we as believers can identify with you and that we can be resurrected as you were. And Lord, that you give us a new body, a new place. Lord, we thank you for that, a new life in you. Lord, help us to be encouraged when things get tough around us. Help us not to lose our faith. Help us not to lose what's most important. Lord, help us to stand firm in your truth. And Lord, help us not to get weary in doing what you've called us to do. Give us the power. Give us the strength. Give us the reminders that it's not in vain. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for and we love you so much, Lord. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.